0: Hey there fellow entrepreneurs, if you're tired of complicated domain management, I've got the solution for you, Hover.com. Hover makes registering and managing domains a breeze. Their clean interface and hassle-free experience will save you time and frustration. No upsells, no hidden fees, just straightforward domain services. Plus, Hover offers top-notch customer support. Make your life easier, head over to milwaukeemafia.com slash hover and simplify your domain journey today. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your weekly podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to Milwaukee Mafia. I'm Eric Walterkins.
1: I'm Gavin Schmidt.
0: And Gavin, wowzers, man. Wowzers. thousand <laughs> downloads. Pretty good. So for everybody's clarification, this podcast reached... 12,000 downloads, beginning of November. Thank you all for continuing to listen, and for anybody that's listening for the first time, thanks for signing up. So Gavin, you want to hit us up with what we got for a topic today?
1: It's cheese. We're going to talk about Mafia cheese.
0: Mafia cheese. Best cheese you can buy.
1: Best cheese. All right, this is the story of a cheese company in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, and that cheese company's name is Grande Cheese.
0: Grande Cheese. Yes. Uh, just out of curiosity, does this company still exist? Today? Very so much I, so. I, I'm assuming they were just bought out by some massive conglomerate.
1: No, they were not.
0: Oh, so there's still <laughs> family. It's, still, well, the
1: family. it's still the same family.
0: It's still the huh? same family. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. Which is part of the reason that the story is going to stop right about here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when you drive just south of Fond du Lac, there's, yes. there's a warehouse right off of 41. Yes. And I think it says Grande. Yes. Is that Grande cheese?
1: Probably. Okay. It's right at the forty one one fifty one exit.
0: Ah uh, no. This is I'm thinking further south.
1: Well, it could still be them. They've yeah. got places all over the area. Yeah. But but the headquarters is right at the corner of like For, forty one okay. and one fifty one.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's my, that's my uninteresting question, so I was but, just curious. But
1: again, just I should make that clear. Completely legitimate company. <laughs> Not implying anything about grande cheese today. This is all historical stuff. Nothing today. Because I don't want to get sued. <laughs> all right, we're going back to the 1940s. 1941, a Chicago mobster named Ross Prio is credited with starting grande cheese with a $30,000 investment. The officers at the time were Prio, an attorney named Fred Romano, and another guy named Lawrence Marino. All three of these guys live in Chicago. So we're actually starting in Chicago. We don't get to Fond du Lac for a little bit. Okay. Several people connected to Grande were killed in its earliest days. Okay. (laughs) You're not not shocked at all. (laughs) Thomas Oniglia was shot to death in December 1943 while being shaved in a barber's chair. Two men burst into the barber shop and killed Oniglia while his face was covered in lather. The barbers on duty and another customer ducked for cover. Eleven bullets entered his body and revolvers were left at the scene, one on the floor, one on his body. They then rode off. There was $1,500 in his pockets, but it was left untouched.
0: Okay, hold on because you lost me there for a second. Okay. How was this guy associated to the cheese company?
1: I'm glad you asked because <laughs> the next paragraph, Oniglia was Grande's primary stockholder, he had the most stock in the company. And he sometimes played golf in Fond du Lac.
0: Okay. (laughs) So the cheese company actually started in Chicago.
1: Started in Chicago. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. His attorney was Fred Romano, the president of Grande. Oniglia, who had just been killed, had previously been questioned regarding the murder of another man who had been shot and killed. Was he responsible? I don't know. His, uh, his record is not, uh, not too terrible. He was a bootlegger. He had a farm that had some stills in it in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, and he had a mansion in Lake Geneva. He was a uh, very much low-wage, not quite poverty, but, you know, minimum wage earner in 1920, but very wealthy by 1930. So what happened in the 1920s, I don't know, but might have been bootlegging. The coroner opened his safe deposit box. Nothing connecting him to criminal activity was found, but they did find his shares of Grande Cheese stock, $5,000 in cash, $10,000 worth of diamonds, and a 2.5 carat diamond ring. Jewel thief Edward Ross, who went by the name Big Joe English, was found shot to death in his hotel room. One theory was that his death was in retaliation for Oniglia's murder. A 38 revolver, wiped clean, was found beside his body, which was beaten and shot several times in the stomach and head. But nobody ever caught this guy or connected him.
0: All these people are employees of Grande Cheese?
1: This guy is not. Okay. This guy was just murdered and suspected as one of the suspects in the first guy's murder. So he is now killed. The man most closely connected with Oniglia, the man who's been killed in a barber chair, was Ross Prio, the man who started Grande Cheese. I'm actually trying to keep the names to a minimum, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Oniglia and Prio co-owned the Grande Dairies in Eau Claire and a parking lot company. Oniglia was the manager on record for another company, a laundromat in Chicago, and Ross Prio was the treasurer of this company, so they had a bunch of businesses together. We go on to our next guy. Tavern operator James D'Angelo goes missing in February 1944. DeAngelo had been a suspect in the murder of a state representative who was a friend of Al Capone's. Three years later, when two of that state representative's killers pleaded guilty, they said that D'Angelo was the one who had orchestrated the murder. But police could not find D'Angelo to arrest him. So James D'Angelo is now missing. Another guy connected to Grande. It's missing. Oh. Yeah, I know. You're, you're like so lost here. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> I am. I am. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it
1: gets less confusing later. A cheesemaker at Grande named Onofrio Vitelli goes missing the day after D'Angelo goes missing. Vitelli told his wife that he was going to meet with D'Angelo. Vitale and D'Angelo were close friends with Vitale being the godfather of D'Angelo's daughter. The Vitale family did not report the missing man for several days. And when they did, they told the police... We just figured he'd come home. After an anonymous call from someone claiming to see four men stuff a body into a trunk, D'Angelo's corpse was found in a trunk in his car a couple weeks after uh, he went missing. His body had been beaten with kicks to the stomach and a fractured skull and wrapped up in a clothesline. A noose was around his neck. On his person was $15, a ring, and a watch. Coroner believed that D'Angelo had been dead for 10 to 12 days, but he was probably alive when he was put in the trunk. Police speculated that D'Angelo was involved in a gangland war over profits from black market cheese.
0: What is the black market of cheese? Why would there ever exist a black market for cheese?
1: Basically, the black market of cheese is selling cheese not through a grocery store or something. And it sounds kind of silly, but the kind of cheese a lot of these guys are making, and maybe I should have clarified this up front, but a lot of the cheese these guys are making is Italian-style cheese. Most famous that you would know is like mozzarella. Okay. You have to understand that at this point in time, You couldn't go to the grocery store and buy mozzarella. You'd have to go to a special Italian store. Now, there's certain, you know, Mexican stores or Asian stores, that sort of thing. At this point in time, mozzarella wasn't something you could just get at any place. You could kind of sell it under the table and make good money off of it. Because as Americans started getting the taste for pizza and other things, mozzarella got to be very popular. But it was still only like a specialty item. So... This is like a, a crucial time in the cheese business where it sounds really silly, but it's suddenly hugely hugely profitable because the sales are booming and the suppliers are very minimal. There's not many of them
0: mm-hmm. Okay, how is that black market? Just I mean,
1: not not selling it you know not through the business. You know, oh, like you're making cheese and then selling it. Like you're going around and being like, hey, I got this cheese.
0: Essentially like an evading taxes thing is right. more or less what it is. Right. They might have their normal cheese business and they sell all these cheeses to grocery stores. But then there's the mozzarella line over here that, and they're just kind of like selling it. And off maybe they're cutting
1: low. corners on, you know, regulations and ins- inspections and who knows what else. Gotcha. All right. Police suspected that Ross Prio was involved, but Prio... Has actually been missing from Chicago since O'Niglia's death, the first guy who died. Prio was found, and all he said was, Hey, that guy was an excellent salesman, but I only knew him casually. D'Angelo has been found. His friend Vitali, his corpse is found stuffed in a sewer not far from the Chicago Loop. It is also near the home of Vincent Benevento, whose nickname is the best nickname. His nickname is the dude. <laughs> Benevento was a former partner of Oniglia, Andy Angelo, and Vitelli, the guy who's in the sewer. He died from a fractured skull. His body was beaten and tied up. His remains were identified by a dentist who had done some bridge work on him. On December 28, 1945, while in the back room of his store, Vincent Benevento, the dude, was shot five times. But did survive. He does survive this. He arrives at the hospital in critical condition. Police said that it was a murder attempt. Benevento says, no, it was not a murder attempt, even though he was shot five times. <laughs> he goes, it was a robbery. It just went bad. Searching Benevento's apartment, police discovered a Tommy gun, eight shotguns, six rifles, eight revolvers, over 2,000 rounds of ammunition, and a fake machine gun. When asked about this, Benevento said, I like to hunt.
0: good answer good answer good answer
1: okay the dude at a cabin three miles south of lake zurich he'd been hiding out with his wife for several months they were asleep in their bed when two men battered the door in and opened fire Police suspected these were the same men who had previously tried to kill him this time he was shot six times in the back and the neck with a 45 his wife was huddled against the wall but she was left unharmed that was kind of confusing, but you get the general idea that there's a string of people who are part owners or employees of this business that are now dead. Yes. Okay. In comes a new man. His name is John De Bella. He's born in Sicily. He lives in Brooklyn for a while, and he joins Grande as a salesman in the 1940s in the middle of all this nonsense. He's connected by marriage to several early New York mobsters, some black hand extortion members numerous bootlegging operations, as well as some shady businesses. While he's in Brooklyn yet, he's heavily involved in bootlegging. He loses his permit to handle liquor when they find out that they've been selling it to a Dr. John O'Sullivan who was writing out prescriptions that he wasn't supposed to be writing out because during prohibition you could write prescriptions for alcohol. But you couldn't just write out, here, have a jug of of whiskey. They kind of kept some track on it. And this guy was notorious as a doctor you could just go to and get these prescriptions. Debella comes into the cheese business, like I said, in the 1940s after the bootlegging in New York is done. Exactly how he got in is unclear. But the way the story is told is that there's a man named Joe Bonanno. And Joe Bonanno is like one of the biggest mobsters in history. Like he's a Big, big guy in New York. I'll step back here. There's five mafia families in New York. New York City is big enough that it has five families. It doesn't just have one New York family. One of the five families is called the Bonanno family, which is run, or was run, he's dead now, but it was run by Joe Bonanno for a very long time, a long, long time. And he, on top of being one of the most powerful mob bosses, he had a really bad habit Of trying to expand. Most mob members, like, they kind of know their territory. Like, Milwaukee's like, yeah, we got Milwaukee. Maybe we'll spread out to Madison or Kenosha. Mm -hmm. But they're not gonna go down to Chicago. That's Chicago. Bonanno wasn't like that. And that's why a lot of the other guys really hated him. Because he tried to expand to Canada. He tried to expand to Phoenix, Arizona. Like, he was always... Everywhere he would buy a property, he would try to set a foothold there. Which angered a lot of people. So... I wouldn't be surprised if this was like, whether he was going to do it or not, like in the back of his mind, if he's like, yes, this is how I get some influence in Fond du Lac. (laughs) You know, like why I don't know, but just like thinking of how I can spread my reach out to new places. And Joe Bonanno apparently... Here's a word that there's some problems with the cheese business in Chicago that, hey, these guys are all out there killing each other. That's not cool. So he says, hey, I got this friend. I'm going to take this friend. I'm going to bring him out there. We're going to straighten this out. They move it out of Chicago up to Fond du Lac, and they get things up and running. Now, officially, Joe Bonanno has no connection to this company. But his wife does own stock in the company. And the company would always say, yeah, 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 that was the wife. That wasn't him. But it's a fine line. Right. The company's version of the story, it's completely made up. So trying to figure out what actually happened is, is kind of hard to figure out. I know some of it from the records. And Joe Bonanno, despite being one of the biggest mobsters in American history, actually wrote a memoir. <laughs> so it's, it's in his memoir. He talks about this happening. Uh, there's a lot of things he conveniently leaves out. But, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah. so he's, so Debella moves to Fond du Lac, and apparently, even though he's connected all these guys in Brooklyn, he also becomes close to the Milwaukee Mafia. When he becomes a U.S. citizen, he goes to Milwaukee to do that. His witnesses are John Alioto, we talked about in a previous episode, mob boss, and Pasquale Miliocho, who I think has come up. He's a not, the
0: name sounds familiar. Not so.
1: as well known, but definitely a, a big guy in uh, in Milwaukee. Strangely enough, even though he was friends with Milwaukee and the Bananos. He was also friends with another New York family, the Gambinos. These two brothers who were in the Gambino family, they move out to Fond du Lac and they start their own cheese company, which DiBella also partially owns. It's very confusing. A lot of companies well, these multiple owners in the Fond du Lac area. I'm not even going to try to do any of that in this because it's very confusing. Now, John DiBella, once he takes over the cheese company, the cheese company is more or less legit. People aren't killing each other He's got some questionable friends, a lot of questionable friends, but the company itself seems to be pretty clean. There's things that happen later on, but it's just, it's like tax things.
0: When it's in Fond du Lac, it almost has to be some sort of mafia connected thing because this guy is just way too connected mm-hmm. for it not to be but it was something they were running completely above board from the looks right,
1: of it right right and i mean and keep in mind that just because a company is run by a mafia guy or has mafia guys working for it it doesn't mean the company isn't clean, clean. again i mean there's some things that some questionable things that happen but by and large the worst of it is like early on when people are fighting over it
0: This story is just so strange to me because you got a notorious New York mafia member coming and bringing this guy here to run this company, which it doesn't... Why he even cares is so bizarre to me. Yeah.
1: After John DeBella dies, his brother-in-law takes over the company. And his brother-in-law is just as connected as he is. Again, the company, totally legit. But he just knows way too many questionable guys. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Are you saying that it's possible that the the company's not really involved in any of this stuff?
1: Grande, totally legit. But they keep getting connected over and over again to all these new guys who have a history of very bad stuff. There's a company that sets up in Detroit. There's a company that sets up in Cleveland. There's a company in Canada. There's a company in California. All these cheese companies. And they're all owned by guys who are known to be mafia members. Mm -hmm. And because they're all in the cheese business, they're all talking to each other all the time. So they're constantly under investigation because in Fond du Lac, they're clean. They run a normal business. They're fine. But... They all know each other. They all have partial ownership in side businesses. Some of them set up like a factory. That's like, oh, you know, we'll own part of it. You'll own part of it. So then now you've got partial mob ownership in a legitimate mm, company. Interesting. So honestly, like, I I don't, I don't mean this to speak ill of Grande because Grande again, I can't stress this enough: legitimate company. (laughs) But they have more than their fair share of questionable connections
0: interesting
1: well there's nothing in here that i mean isn't completely true everything here is documented this originally i should say that on the air on the air you even say it for a podcast <laughs> i don't know these are modified notes from an article i wrote for a magazine back in 2012 in the magazine article it's footnoted to hell i mean there's like a hundred footnotes so every single sentence i can back up so i'm not i'm not nothing i said here today I i can get sued for it's all public record just don't want to get too close to anybody who's still alive and accidentally say the wrong thing
0: all right well i think that'll wrap this one up gavin you want to go ahead and do your contact info
1: yeah So the easiest way to find me and the stuff I'm working on is MilwaukeeMafia.com, which, as we record this, has been undergoing some major changes. So it looks amazing. It's easier to find information than ever. You can email me at MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MilwaukeeMafia.
0: And go to Patreon.com slash MilwaukeeMafia. And if you go to MilwaukeeMafia.com, you'll find it somewhere there. There's a link to join. So please do join that and always leave us a podcast review on your favorite podcast player. All right. That sounds good. We will be back in two weeks with uh, another one of these episodes. And next week, you can watch for a Patreon episode to drop for any of the Patreon members. Thanks again for the support. And we'll see you in two weeks or one week or whatever it might be. (laughs) All right. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia Podcast. Join us next week for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.